Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. Joe here. You're about to hear an interview with Motherwell's head of sports science, Andy Bowles. A part of this chat appeared in The Scotsman, but here's a full interview where we talk about the impact of the football shutdown, easing the players back to football fitness, injury concerns, those weird GPS bra things players wear, and Andy's match-ready fitness business. Also, it should be said, this was recorded before Richard Tate left the club. Andy, could you could you give me a bit of background on uh, about yourself and how you got into your role as head of sports science at Motherwell? Yeah, yeah, Joe. So um, started. I went to. I always loved sport, particularly football. Um, as as a kid, kind of growing up and stuff, and it's never never really good enough to make it as a player. So you're kind of starting to look at other avenues of how you could be involved in football. And um, well, so I went to uni to study sports science at Glasgow Uni. Uh, straight after school, um, done that for four years, um, honours degree in physiology and sports science. And then we still wanted to do a master's degree um, at Edinburgh Uni in strength and conditioning. Um, at that point, I was kind of volunteering with different clubs and kind of getting involved, helping out and seeing, seeing kind of what happened. I started working with Hamilton Ackies. Uh, that was my first team. Uh, just like kind of volunteering really for a year, like with stuff in the academy, helping going out putting cones out and helping sessions run really um, eventually kind of led to taking wee sessions with like the kind of under 14s 15s 17s etc um, from there I started working just after I graduated from a master's degree started working with Institute of Sport as well so working with different sports leading up to the Commonwealth Games in Delhi 2010 oh yeah um, so just supporting kind of different uh, different sports um, in, in general and after that, 2011, I got the chance to go full-time at Hamilton. 
So that's when I started kind of working for um, first team level. Uh, did that for about a year and a half, um, and from then landed a job at Middlesbrough as the head SNC coach. So moved down south for three years. Um, brilliant time down there. Left halfway through the season. I got promoted in the Premier League, which some people <laughs> might say that wasn't a great career move. But at the point, you know, just kind of family circumstances, we were looking for the opportunity to move home. Um, me and my my wife and the the job at Motherwell came up, and it was a perfect fit because I'm I'm local to here as well, so I'm, I'm ten minutes from the club. It's a perfect opportunity and. Knew a couple of guys from Middlesbrough, um, like Steve McManus, uh, Scott McDonald were playing here at the time, and uh, the goalkeeper on loan from Middlesbrough, that was the only Conor Ripley. Um, so it was kind of made that transition a wee bit easier, and I've been here ever since, coming up in five years. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been great, it's been a great journey in um, all of my time at Motherwell. Sports science or head of sports science, so that, that kind of role is maybe something that fans are maybe quite vague on or don't have a, a real understanding of what uh, what involves. So what exactly is a head of sports science and what, 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 does, uh, what does the role entail? Uh, yeah, I was actually speaking to a guy at another club about this yesterday. Um, I think because we study a degree called sports science generally, um, a lot of people that don't really do great in this role or create a bad perception act like scientists. And football's it's not really a science, really. It's, it's more, I suppose it's probably more of an art. Um, that I would see myself more as a fitness coach. Mm-hmm. So basically, we use scientific principles to influence how that um, fitness coach works. But you are a coach, um, not a football coach, a fitness coach. So we speak to depending on how different clubs work but at Motherwell you know we'll have a meeting with uh, all the coaching staff in the morning in terms of what type of training session we're doing what fitness characteristics we're looking for from that training session um, and then I'll be there to assist it obviously take things like the warm up and any any running drills we do um, and afterwards we'll do things like strength sessions in the gym um, and we'll also monitor like how hard the sessions are through things like GPS um, and, and heart rate analysis um, and we also do that after games and stuff as well but it's generally I think people should look at it more as instead of being a scientist that's in the role it's, it's a fitness coach but they've just got a wee bit more of a kind of scientific background in terms of their understanding of the physiology what's happening in your body when you train hard at different time you know, in different ways so it's more it's basically a fitness coach it's, it's a long answer to <laughs> Do you set out the, the gym plans in, in kind of uh, conversation with Stephen Robinson? Because you look at uh, Motherwell since Robinson's been there, you've got to say, just uh, going by the eye test, they've been one of the fittest teams there. You've got probably the two of the fittest players in Scottish football and Richard Tate and Alan Campbell, which uh, must make your job a lot easier because they, they have that mindset. I mean, I follow Richard Tate on Instagram and the man is a machine. So, how how much involvement uh, do you have with Robinson to uh, set out those uh, gym plans? Like this is this is what we want the uh, the players to be. We want them to be really fit. We want them to be aggressive. We want them to be really powerful. Yeah, the well, the managers obviously got a philosophy, and, and all different managers have a hmm. philosophy in terms of how they want to play and what the teams what they want to look like. Um, obviously, I, when I first joined the club, um, Stephen was the assistant manager, um, so I've. I've known him for five years. We built up a, a great trust over that time, and he's, he's been brilliant with me. So basically, he allows me to kind of look, especially all the gym stuff, um, 
you know, just wants the players to be powerful and as strong as possible. But really, that's up to me to, to work out how it's the best way of doing that. Um, and that's between most. I'll speak to Stevie and I'll speak to the players themselves to see, you know, what they think their own strengths and weaknesses are in conjunction with the physio, David Henderson, and other coaching staff in terms of what do they see on a training pitch, what do they see in games. Um, and all those, you know, all those guys basically have a have a voice. Um, I think that's probably one of the strengths we have at the moment as a club is how strong a kind of coaching group we have, um, and all those opinions are important. But yeah, it, it, I suppose the manager kind of dictates how he wants the team to play, and from that, really, it's up to me to try and work out what's the best way um, uh, to do that. And now you're in a kind of difficult position because uh, you're uh, furloughed as I think many of the, the, the players are as well. So you don't have that face time with them. How did that evolve when the uh, when football shut down? And you, did you have to kind of be quick off the mark and put programs in place to give players guidance to how to keep fit and what the best things to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty much we had to have, I mean, I already had the programmes written for the off-season. Um, I usually do that kind of in January, February time because when the end of the season comes, there's usually get quite a lot of games. Um, there might be a few other things kind of happening, so you don't really want to be caught short with that. So mm-hmm. I've usually written their off-season programme um, around about kind of January, February time. So that was already pretty much done. Just had to adapt it from instead of being four weeks, make it like 12 weeks. <laughs> and and also um, because of the, obviously furlough situation what we had to do is just try and create lots of different types of runs um, and, and almost give players a menu to choose what they want to do from that um, you know you, you mentioned Tate and, and Alan Campbell earlier that, that we've got, actually got a really good group they're, they're two shining examples but we've got a really good group of players that we can trust um, we've worked really hard to kind of work on the culture of that so there's a, most of the players you know we can give them a programme and we can trust that they will do it and they can trust that they understand it's important probably all comes from the manager kind of happen on it all the time to be fair but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so what we've done is we've kind of given them a menu that what we I would think I think important a lot of guys traditionally make an off season just do you know go out and do a couple of runs in the road maybe a couple of 5k's 10k's if they're feeling a bit if they want to push it a wee bit but um, what we've tried to do is create different runs that target different energy systems so the players don't need to think about things like that too much. We don't. We're not trying to educate them as scientists or anything. But what we try and do is try and th- like make sure they're hitting aerobic pathways, make sure they're trying to high intensity work, they're hitting some power and explosive work, um, and, and that is what I find with some people that struggle when they come back in pre-season. People that have only done maybe the one type of run, and they've only really worked one energy system. They think they've done loads, but they've maybe run loads of five k's. But as soon as they try and change direction or run at a high speed they really, really struggle physically. So um, we've tried to give them a kind of wide variety of stuff that they can pick from and hopefully that should just give them a kind of wee dose of everything that when they come back, um, you know, they, they should be in decent condition. Yeah, because you, you touched on it there about the players running. Just it's like do, Some players may just fall into the trap of doing one run. We've obviously had the, kind of the, the fitness challenges we've seen yep. across the uh, mm-hmm. shutdown, which is great because it has encouraged people to get, uh, get out there, be, be really competitive. But is, 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 was that the, the major concern that they would just be doing one thing so when they, they do come back, they're at a higher risk of injury? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And speak to guys at other clubs, it's not, it's not just us that have got that concern. It's... Um, 
the you know it's just probably a, a fairly common thing. I mean, one of the things, for example, we say say we normally finish and we get four or five weeks off from the end of the season to the first day of pre-season. We'll still be really light. We, we won't do a lot of like ball striking really early on. We'll, we'll do kind of small passing drills. We'll maybe pass about ten yards or whatever, but we won't do any like kind of forty fifty yard strikes of the ball early early on because their hip flexors and their, their groins have been won't have done much of that for the past mm-hmm. four weeks. But now we're looking at that being what, twelve weeks, maybe maybe longer, fifteen weeks. So, um, so obviously we're going to have to be really mindful when we get back that we you know we're going to have to watch what we're doing. So, one of the things that a lot of the drills have, that we've put out, I've got a ball involved in them. They might not be able to do passing drills, etc., but they might be able to do a bit of dribbling and maybe strike off a wall and get and receive it again. So, these things like that can make it. We can do things earlier on. If that makes sense. Yeah. We're going to be, um, you know, if we're talking about going back in mid June, and, and they, for what I hear, the SPL think that there's going to be games at the start of August, and that's going to be a really quick turnaround. Um, in terms of if, if if we think the guys can't really do a lot of it to, to start with, so the next two or three weeks will be key for the players if they can do a lot of these different things, like strike a ball, change in direction when they run. A lot of people like underestimate the energy cost of changing direction, running a line and changing back, or. Um, so a lot of that stuff, if they can start to break themselves in now, then you know we can we can start at a higher level when they come back. So yeah, looking ahead to when they come back for preseason ahead of uh, the next campaign, what sort of stuff will players be encountering when they return? Will they be going through a lot of tests? Will they? Uh, will it be a case of like you said that there's there's not as much ball work? Well, we would we would normally use the ball in as much condition work as we can to, to start with. Um, mm. And we'll probably still do that, but it'll just be in smaller. From what you see at the TV and um, what you hear what's happening in the Premier League, and is that is that people working in kind of groups of four or five rather than just one big group? Um, and that will just have its challenges in terms of what we try to do is a lot of your conditioning work is we'll try and implement a tactical element into it as well, so that as the players are getting fitter physiologically, they're having to make decisions, and and a lot of that is reflected on like the team shape and we play games at the weekend. And that's not just something you work on on a Friday. Like we try and drip that into as much, as many kind of drills as we can. That's going to be a challenge to do because when we come back pre-season, we're not going to be able to work in maybe groups of four or five. So, um, But in terms of when we first get back, we'll probably have, we'll be looking at doing a couple of lower key sessions to start with before we do any maximal testing. Because, because the players have been off for so long, you don't really want to put anybody maximally through anything the first kind of couple of days because you know the risk of injury goes goes high. So so we'll probably need to do a few sessions of breaking in, um, a few lighter kind of conditioning sessions to see where the boys really are at. Um, because we can give them all the programs and um, somebody like Tate might do something 100%. Somebody else might do the drill and still might do the same drill but only do it maybe 60 or 70% effort. So they're going to be at different places when they come back. So... We need to really just get eyes on them when they first come back and, and, and kind of have a, have a go from there. Is there any particular injuries or niggles that are, that concern you about going back that, that might be prevalent that uh, not just Motherwell fans have to be wary of, but fans across uh, Scottish football that they, they might they have to be understanding that players will be picking up these strains? Yeah, there's, a, there's always a much higher risk um, for, for players because their, their training load is, has been so low for the past few months um, and, and also on top of the, like the physical load that we can repeat 
like people can go and do drills themselves and, and you can cover a certain amount of distance. We could look at GPS data and, and high intensity distance and stuff. But as soon as people start training in a group, there's a higher cognitive load as well, which you can't really measure, but you've got to be aware of. Um, what's the other people can kind of about, you know, um, people changing direction around about you and all those sort of things that um, will increase the injury risk as well. So I think in general, there's probably a higher risk of all injuries. Uh, to be honest, anything from like muscle injuries, from overloading those muscles, to you know, ankle injuries by people's proprioception, but you know, being off because they've not really moved the same way in a, in a while. But to be honest, at Motherwell, we've been we've been really lucky the last kind of two or three pre seasons since since the gaffer's been here. With you know, as as a fitness coach, you really need coaching staff that will. Um, have in their mind that it's important they're fit for the first game of the season they don't have to be fit after week one they don't have to be fit really after week two depending on what your game schedule is obviously but you need to be fit for the first game of the season and and I think what's the reason we've been really successful in getting players fit and not having many injuries is that the coaches haven't been right okay let's get everybody and absolutely beast them in the first week or, mm. or, or batter them in the second week and, and then getting nervous because they feel they haven't done enough work um, so that makes my job as a fitness coach a lot easier because the, the coaches are willing to progressively load the players um, and um, yeah that, that helps that helps massively with keeping those injuries down I've seen you, you mentioned G- GPS and I've seen that and seen a lot of footballers mention that in interviews they've done about having these uh, GPS trackers and having a, uh, kind of that accountability and sending it back to the, to the club what do the GPS tell you and are these the sort of bras that we see f- uh, footballers wear? I'm sure Motherwell, and I've, I've seen there's certainly a few teams in Scottish Premiership who have that uh, kind of that, that strapping or bra b- below their top. Yeah, that's that's what the GPS is. So that basically works the same way as your phone's GPS works or your car's, just, just a lot more accurate. Um, so they track the player's movement or, or on the pitch or, or whatever, whatever they're doing, wherever they're working. So you'll get loads of metrics back um, based on things like total distance, so the, the amount of distance they've actually just covered in a session, and then we'll look at things like high-intensity distance. So that is the distance they cover while running faster than a certain speed. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's 19.8 kilometres an hour. So that will just accumulate all the distance they spend covering over 19.8 kilometres an hour within a session. So that can give you not just an idea of something, because somebody might have covered... 5k in a training session and done no high intensity distance and somebody else might have covered 5k in a session or even less than 5k but covered like a thousand meters high intensity distance so like you have to kind of split the speed zones down to get an idea of how hard somebody's worked that makes sense yeah you also things like like accelerations and decelerations so for example um you know your fullbacks and your wide players will probably cover a lot of high intensity distance in position-specific drills, because basically they've got a lot of speed and a lot of distance to open their legs out, um, so they get to those higher speeds quicker. Uh, whereas like central midfield players, for example, centre halves, they might not really be covering as much distance sprinting, but what they'll do is they'll accelerate and decelerate and change direction, maybe more than other people will. So we'll have a look at that, and, and obviously what we've done over the past kind of four years since we've had a GPS system in is we've built profiles for all our players so we know roughly in a game what distance Alan Campbell covers how like how much high intensity distance he covers what's his accelerations decelerations and, and, and loads of other stuff so from that we can actually look at 
what their training profile looks like and, and make sure we're hitting all those sort of metrics in, in the training. Because the, the ultimate thing really is, it's not to get somebody, you know, as fit. Like, it's not really to get somebody to pass a bleak test and get as high a score on a bleak test as possible. It's not really to get them to run a 5K as fast as possible. It's to get them to be as fit to reproduce that in a game as possible. So, so that's why we always try and, a lot of people now are looking at what people do in games and, and trying to replicate that. You talked about the difference between the accelerations or the distance for wing uh, fullbacks and wingers to cover as compared to maybe centre-backs or centre midfielders. Do you tailor programmes depending on position? Yeah, well, a lot of air conditioning work is done in like, kind of shape-based drills. So we um, the coaches are excellent here. Um, obviously with the, the gaffer, but um, Bilaz and, and Moros as well, just about coming up, coming up with conditioning drills based around positions. So instead of just kind of running in straight lines, we, we will do some of that, but, but what, what we do is, is based around, okay, tactically, this is what we want our team to do. And people do conditioning work based around that. So naturally, they reproduce the amount of work, that they, the type of work that they're going to have to do on a Saturday. Um, so yeah, we do tailor that. You know, their, their strength programs are tailored to what they like physiologically as well, and and, and what the demands of their position are. So um, I think we've seen, we've seen the benefits of that as well. You know, looking at everybody on in individual levels has really helped us in the past kind of few years. There's been there's been a lot of discussion, not so much in Scottish uh, football now, because the Premiership has been has been terminated, and there's. There's not going to be the return to the, the the current campaign, but England might be might be doing so. And there was chat in Scotland before, but how how long do you think it will take players to get back to football fitness or match fitness, ready to play games? That's a, that's a tough question. I think a lot of it depends on what they're like when they come back. You know, mm. what kind of what kind of physical state they're in when they come back. Um, because there's there's been there's been uh, I've seen a few estimations like it would take three weeks it would take six weeks it would uh, uh, people have been putting a number on it but I, I take it is it just dependent on what the the players have been doing Yeah, I think it's de- it's dependent on that. I think even if somebody has been working really 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 hard and, and training every day and and doing all the things we're asking them to do, you're probably still working more than more than four weeks because of all the like decisions that people have got to make within a game mm-hmm. that they there's just it's just impossible to condition that when you're working yourself um you know that intensity work, working at that intensity of a game even having the resilience to be like kicked quite a few times in a game and not be able to pick up injuries i, I know that sounds like really um <laughs> unscientific but you know all these wee things make make a difference so uh, unless you're Obviously, you can't because you're socially distancing. But unless you're down the park getting somebody to kick you, <laughs> but, yeah, you can't really condition that um, apart from through training. So the um, I, I would think at least four weeks, uh, and that's based on somebody coming back, you know, really, really fit. So, um, and I, as I said, I know that some of the clubs down in England are, are, in the Premier League have started back almost voluntary sessions for their players, but basically, basically just look like running drills that they could do themselves anyway mm. they're not allowed any contact at the moment so um, I, I don't know that will obviously will get them fitter but it's still not going to bridge that gap in that last little bit of I suppose that's what you might call match fitness you know if you've seen somebody that's been out injured for, for a long period of time and then maybe take some three or four games to kind of get back into the rhythm of, of, of playing games and making all those decisions tactically that 
um, you know, we made them do. The, the only advantage now is, or the, the only way you might not see it so much is that everybody's in the same boat. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not like you're not like a player that's come back from injury and that everybody else has been flying for three or four months and you're trying to kind of get into that rhythm that everybody else is going to be in the same position. So it may, you might not see it as much. But the standard might be terrible for the first <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the coronavirus pandemic, is a thing that is talked about a lot in football and, and, and mentioned having football f- football fitness or match sharpness. So obviously you can be fit and then, like you said, with an injury and come back. Is that the case? And it, does it take does it take players, does it take some players longer than others? Or is it just, is it again, dependent on the individual to, to get back up to what we'd call 100% fitness or full speed? Yeah, again, it's, it's such a, you don't, you don't really hear a lot of sports science people talking about it because generally we only like to talk about things we can measure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously millions of things we can't measure, but yeah, just going from my experience, yeah, you, you, can, you can tell when people are, some people might just naturally be ready to come back. Some people it takes a bit longer, yeah. But as I said, a lot of those kind of little things about like decision-making, um, are probably those things that are really hard to condition in, in the rehab. We can what we'll do with somebody who's been out a long time is we'll obviously have their GPS profile of what they would normally do in a game, what they would normally do in a week's training. And we would normally between myself and the physio, is we would normally design sessions to build them up. So if somebody's been out for a long period of time, you know, we might say, right, okay, this week we're trying to hit like fifty percent of what they would do in a game. Mm-hmm. For all those metrics, maybe not in the same day, but then the next week you might be sixty percent, might be seventy percent, and you might be trying to build them up to what ninety percent of what they're doing a game. So you're almost trying to replicate, you know, what what they're going back to. But you know, all that things about like, like I said, people tackling you properly in, in a game, and your decision making when you're tired, not dropping runners, and um, still doing the right things tactically. They they're so hard to condition and. Yeah, it does take people time. I think the only way they can get doing that is by actually getting in and playing. And if they're not ready, then it might seem like they're not as fit, if that makes mm. sense. But um, it's just that, yeah, that wee bit of match fitness that's such a hard thing to, to, to kind of condition back. One of the key reasons I uh, I wanted to get you on uh, the podcast, Andy, was because I came across uh, Match Ready Fitness on Instagram. It is a fitness training app that you've you've developed. Could you uh, tell listeners a bit about it? And was this, was it a coincidence that it came out just as the, uh, kind of during the coronavirus lockdown? Or is it something you've been working on for, for a while? Uh, no, it's pure coincidence, to be honest. Um, what we do with our, with our players is, I've kind of like, put it off, but like I'm, the multiple players is I've almost kind of designed a wee app that we get for their off-season programmes and, and we've done that for the past kind of two or three years because um, I've been doing, I've been working this role for what, about 10 years or something now and giving, you give people programmes out and they get like either a bit of paper which mm-hmm. goes in the book of at the end of the season but it doesn't get seen or um, <laughs> maybe send an email out and then they've got to troll through emails and it's, they probably aren't using it as much. One thing players have always gotten them is a phone. So, um, you know, we thought, you know, can we, can we design a wee app that all their runs and all their conditioning drills um, are on? And it's a lot more user-friendly as well. So, yeah, we've been using that for the past two or three years. And this year, most of the programmes went out. And this is a separate thing, so they've got their own kind of app. And I had, you know, as soon as football started to wind down, I started to get quite a few people that, you know, I'd coached previously, um, either Motherwell or, or Middlesbrough as well. Um, and, and Hamilton too, just kind of getting in touch um, 
to say, you know, if they got they might not have sports science support where they're at just now. You know, if they got a programme, you know, I've got a couple of mates that play what was junior levels now we kinda of west of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically they were kinda of getting in touch saying, have you got a programme I can do? And I thought, well, why don't I redesign it? And then sent it to one of my mates and he was he passed it on to one of his mates and he was saying that we would pay for a thing like that. Which surprised me because I'm, <laughs> no, I, I don't, you don't really think about it like that. You yeah. just um, think you're kind of helping people out. But I, I suppose, you know, there, there then becomes that other layer of people that are probably, if they're looking for this program, then there must be loads of other people that are looking for a thing like this. Um, and it's to try and break the monotony of, okay, right, we'll just go and run 5Ks all the time. Um, it gives them an idea of some things that football players might be doing or what we might be asking football players to do. Um, there's, there's, a, there's quite a bit of science that goes behind it, but you don't really need to know that as a player. You know, we, we, we try and just kind of put the runs in place that you're hitting all the different energy systems and then they just, all they have to do is just pick one run from each category and then they should they should be well looked after. Um, and yeah, so it's been it's been really successful so far with the, with the amazing feedback. We've had, you know, guys, as I said, from West of Scotland, uh, we've even had teams from West of Scotland, a couple of teams are, are interested in signing up the full squad. Uh, we've had uh, ladies, international footballers, guys playing down south, um, people that have just been released. Because it's only a five or a month. I didn't want mm. to make it like... It, it, it's, it probably, I probably could sell it for more, but I wanted to make it something that's really accessible um, and, and something that people, you know, they, they can... You know, they can even, even the guys who used to play amateur level were just like... Kind of, and are just looking for different ways of, of keeping fit. Well, they're bored of just going out and running the pitch, yeah. or, or just, sorry, just going out and running the road and doing five k's and ten k's. So, you know, there's different types of runs, interval runs that people might not normally think about doing. It just varies their training up. Um, that's that, that's a big thing for me when uh, when looking at it is that it's tailored for people of uh, all fitness and all standards you yeah. don't have to be an elite level uh, athlete i think the level one you talk about is someone who plays fives once a week what are the, what are the, the kind of things people will find on their so we've got um different types of runs we've got uh, conditioning work uh, all our conditioning work and our run type stuff can either be done on the road on the pitch on a track mm-hmm. uh, or on a treadmill. So those those are the kind of four kind of things that people might have access to at the moment while the gyms are closed. And then in each of those categories, they'll have endurance options. So, you know, kind of longer stuff. Um, they'll have high intensity options. So things where you might run a wee bit quicker than rest. Um, and then power stuff. So things where you might be a wee bit more explosive. So you've got lots of different options within that. Uh, on top of that, we've also got strength programs um, and we're adding a wee bit of core work into this week. So just individual kind of core stuff. Um, and some mobility stuff too. Um, so it's really just to try and these are all give people an idea, especially people who might not have this level of sports science support where they're at at the moment, access to the sort of advice and the sort of programs that we would be giving them. Um, but as I said, it's all tailored. So like we've got we've got five levels. So like somebody that's maybe recreational, so somebody that plays fives once a week could for each one of those runs, there's different times and there's different targets. So, you know, you might be somebody that just plays fives once a week. I'm not going to ask you to do the same thing as what I would ask like Alan Campbell to do. But mm-hmm. you can do the same you can do the same run. There's no reason why you can't do the same exercise. But you just have to tone down the intensity you work at and you'll have different speed targets and you'll have different distance targets or whatever. So you can still train like a player, but you just have to pick the intensity level that's right for you and and you'll get a, a benefit out of it. 
there's strength spot there, but there's, there's injury prevention stuff in now as well. So maybe guys that play amateur, you know, maybe continue to get hamstring injuries. There's, there's exercises that are there. And when the lockdown ends, whenever that will be, and when people are like to do gym work, the, um, the amount of stuff we can add to it is going to be huge. I, I don't want to add in loads of things just now that people can't do. Um, you know, so like, like more advanced power work or more advanced like speed work or, or anything like that, and that, that you might need a gym to, to use or like bike sessions uh, on a spin bike because there's no point in me doing that just now if nobody can get in a gym. So, so there's loads to, to get added when, when we can. How, how important is injury prevention and what, what are the kind of stuff that people should, should be doing, especially those who have taken back to the, to the roads and running 5 and 10Ks? For what, play, what people need to do that are kind of starting back out running is, first of all, get the load right. Mm-hmm. So what we'll say is, you know, that, that would be prescribing your level, like level one, level two, level three, level four, level five. If I'm probably just now getting kind of between level three and four in a lot of these runs, but if I go and try and do level fives, if I take, especially if I take a week off, two weeks off, then I'm probably going to pick up some sort of injury or pain that if I keep training then, then it will be I'll, I'll, I'll get injured so it's first of all it's prescribing the, the load right so for example one of our, we've got wee challenges in there as well is, is, is different runs that people might want to do and, and obviously one of them is a 5k challenge but you know I would say maybe try running one if you're starting out maybe try running one 5k at like at a decent pace but don't always try and run everything as hard as possible if you're starting out because mm-hmm. that's like a football if you're training three times a week that's like a football player playing three games a week you know like if you if you constantly push yourself and actually max out as hard as you can all the time when you're starting out that's just a recipe to get injured because your body just won't be like cope um, um on top of that there's other wee things that people can be doing like little strength exercises to target you know muscles that people generally injure like calves hamstrings groins or something that maybe you in particular have had trouble with in the past um, you know, little strength exercises can help build up your strength and your tolerance in there. So, but for me, the the main one really is just getting getting the load, the prescription right. Because um, if you do too much, especially too soon, then then yeah, it's a recipe for for injury. Have you noticed in your time working in sports science, so that from Hamilton, Middlesbrough, to Motherwell, that there's been greater buy-in from players to look after themselves, to be as fit as possible, to be more athletic, and just try and be as elite an athlete as possible. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I was maybe just kind of starting out as, as that kind of full training conditioning in football really kind of started mm-hmm. to take off. So for me, I probably didn't really see it beforehand. I didn't really see people not wanting to do that. I've always had really good experience of that. But I think maybe, you know, when I was started out, you had started to have people as like Cristiano Ronaldo as the players would, like, players would look up to rather than, like, Gaza. So <laughs> so that, that, that even they just role models have changed. The, the intensity of the game's changed a lot since from maybe kind of 2000 to 2010. I think they estimate something like, there's like 30 or 40% more high-intensity running in games. Um, and that was and that's 2010, that's 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. you would expect that's even higher still. Um, that people generally the, the game is more athletic now that I think people just um, realise the importance of it um, yeah I, I said but I've never really had a problem I've always had to, been lucky enough to have groups of guys that wanted to work and push and 
and thinking of new ways he's, he's, he's trying to achieve a level almost like I'd say, I'd say lucky but not in the sense that I've, I've worked the clubs I've worked at I've always, there's always players that want to push to the next level mm-hmm. if that makes um, like at Hamilton we had a lot of young players who wanted to push on and kick on and go to a bigger club so they had that determination and Motherwell obviously we've got the same just now um, we've been really successful in, in kind of moving players on to bigger clubs the past few years but that might just be the situation in the club we're in you know people are at Motherwell but they want to go to bigger clubs so they, they're willing to work harder to, to push themselves to get to that level so um, I don't know if that's me lucky not working for a huge club or not <laughs> but um, my job is it anyway I was speaking to a Premiership player early on this, I think it was earlier this season, and he was talking about his struggles with injury, this his struggles with a knock this season, and how he, he talks about how he's never felt, or certainly not felt 100% for a long time. Is that a case with a lot of players that they, they, they struggle to get that 100% fitness? And actually, this lockdown could be beneficial for a case of almost allowing their body to heal a bit. So they're not, like we talked about earlier, they're not getting tackled, that they're not playing at that football at that such high intensity once, twice a week, that they, this, this is a chance for them to kind of recover. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a, a group of players that out there that will, their bodies will have had a massive benefit from this. It's just to make sure it doesn't go too long because obviously the more you rest the harder it is to get going again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely, there's, there's definitely a category of player that will, that will go out there that will, you know, their bodies will have recovered really, really well from this. Um, in the case of 100% fitness, there's probably a lot of players that go their full career with it playing 100% fitness because they just kind of get on with nicks and, and kind of kicks and um, bits of pain. You know, I know a lot of, I know quite a few players that, you know, would I would say they've not really played without pain in their career, so mm-hmm. they, they do put themselves through a lot. It's it's maybe hard for for people to to kind of appreciate that that you know these guys just constantly playing in um, you know with struggles and we niggles and stuff like that. But yeah, I think they would be the sort of types of guys that would, would benefit from you know a wee bit of time off. Finally, I just wanted to look at the aspect of pre-season generally. Not, maybe, maybe not this pre-season because it's, it's so different, but pre-season's uh, gone, gone by but with the change in football, especially in Scotland where you're playing up to the middle to end of May and then you're playing games again start to middle of July because if you've got your uh, European Europa League qualifiers, Champions League qualifiers in the Betfred Cup. How how difficult is that both on the players and yourself for that uh, for such a quick turnaround? Because again, going back a fair bit now, you had players who were able to kind of step away for six seven weeks. Now it's a case of mm-hmm. two three weeks. Is that enough time for players? Um, we, it's it's difficult now because a lot of the players. We, I mean, we've I would say we've done it quite well. We've not had many injuries the last few pre seasons and. Um, always qualified for a Betfred thing, so mm-hmm. I started okay relatively. Um, but it is, it is a short turnaround. I think the teams that play in European games have probably got it even tougher. Um, you know, with their qualifiers so early, and then they, they generally might be the guys that are involved in cup finals as well, so their season might be a wee bit longer. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, but people, my experience now, even speaking to older pros or guys that used to work in a club before people were really into looking after themselves physically that you just touched on a minute ago. The guys stay in so much better condition in the off-season 
you know, they might take a week off and do nothing, but they generally want to start working after that second week. You know, I've mm-hmm. a lot of players that, you know, if we've got six weeks off, I might recommend that they take a week off of doing nothing, then a week, this is in the off-season. Yeah. A week of doing nothing, and then a week of, like, light activity, so, like, a wee bike ride or playing a bit of golf or whatever. Um, but a lot of them want to start working after a week because if they take two or three weeks off, their body finds it really hard to get going again, um, especially some of the older guys. So generally, be, a boys come back in, in really good condition, which makes it a lot easier. You'll always have one or two that, that don't and they fall behind um, and they, they fall out the team. So we've had a couple of examples of that, maybe like younger guys that, that didn't realise the importance of coming back in great condition and fell away from it. So we've we've got some great examples of people that come back, do well, get themselves fit and before you know what they're playing and getting moves. Um, so it's, it's a really easy one for us to pitch to other players because we'll get great examples of how it's done well and uh, how it's not. But as I said, it, it, even have, one of the first things I said is that when you come back to training, you're always going to start at a later level, but how quickly you can build up that and progress the training depends on how what condition the players come back in. Um, so a lot of the responsibility that we put on them is them come back in a good enough condition that we can start to escalate it and train. Because um, one of the first the first year they done the Betfred link pro thing, our first game was against Rangers. Oh yeah. An absolute nightmare of a game to have. It was like after like the end of the second week of pre-season or something like that, and you're playing one of the biggest games of the season. Um, luckily, nobody got injured, but it was a, it was just a, it was a big challenge to get the players ready for that. So, is it a case now that because it's been up and running for a few, a few years, everyone's kind of used to it now and just fully prepared for it? Yeah, I think people have kind of got a wee bit more experience to deal with it, but it, it's a difficult one. It's, it's such a hard thing to pitch because. Uh, you don't want to go out of the Betfred Cup. It's a, you know, it's a. Not we've seen examples of clubs, you know, Premier League clubs going out in the in the league stage before. And, um, obviously, it's a hard one for the fans to take financially for the club. It's not a great thing. Um, and also, you want to go and try and win everything as much as possible. So it is a it is a balancing act. That's you know, don't injure the players, but get through the, get through the group stages. So. Um, I think people teams will get a wee bit more experience about it now. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen this year with that because um, it's un- well, not going to be able to play games, unlike, I don't think, um, in the Betfred. But I- so I don't know how it'll work this year. Um, I know the other challenge is what are we going to be able to do? We are speaking to us with coaching staff in terms of friendly games. Are we going to be able to play a lot of friendly games against other teams? Um, oh, yeah. At what-, what-, what point are we allowed to mix with other groups? Um, so that will bring its own challenges in the pre-season training so um, well, hopefully obviously we get some clarity from the from the league soon in terms of what we're allowed to do and um, when we're allowed to do it so one, one final question and this is probably for mainly for Motherwell fans who is more superhuman Richard Tate or Alan Campbell I knew you were going to ask that it's I couldn't pick I couldn't pick. The two, the two of them are incredible. We've got we've got loads of other guys as well. To be mm. fair, Graham, Liam Grimshaw is a, a machine. Um, I don't really want to get through him and then leave anybody out. But we've got loads. We've, we've, um, that makes my job really easy. But uh, uh, the one Tate is brilliant because he sets the tone and does everything we do. And you know, like you follow him on uh, Instagram, how hard he works. Um, but Alan, especially because he he's for somebody so young to 
have that professionalism about them. It's not something you see very often. Um, and for somebody so young to lead by example, um, you know, he was a positive example for everybody in the club, even really before he broke into the first team, became a first team regular. So, yeah, I remember, I remember reading an interview with, might have been Chris Cannon, might have been someone else, and they talked about Alan Campbell, how he was always always like the first in the gym, and when he would, he would finish a session and he would go back in the gym, he would always want to have the most push-ups, he would always want to run the fastest, the quickest. Uh, he yeah. just, it, just, it just seemed ingrained in him. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And that sense of the tone for we are trying to do as a club. Mm. Um, you know, all these things are easy to see physically, but on top of that, he's... He's working a lot on his game and on the pitch and trying to add like trying to add goals to his game. So he's not just doing the minimum of training and walking off. Mm-hmm. But I think that ties to you know that hopefully that's what we're trying to say typifies us as a club. People that are wanting to do extra and take themselves somewhere that they've not been before. Well, that's on the pitch or the gym, doing extra conditioning work, make sure the body fat's right, um, and you know hopefully all those wee things add up. But you need players it's okay for me as a coach to say okay go and do this go and do that but you need players there to set the tone of that and um, obviously it helps you know Tate and Alan um, boys at Grimmie and that they're all um, superhuman really so it makes that achievable Magic well Andy thanks very much for that That, I found that fascinating and I would highly encourage listeners if they are keen on their fitness if they play football to check out the Match Fitness uh, Match Fitness app there's there's plenty there uh, to help and guide them as well Right thanks very much Joe thanks for having me on No problem at all thanks very much Sports Social Podcast Network It is Ryan here and I have a question for you What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.